Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. The Blue Cliff Record, Case 11. Obaku's Gobblers of Dregs. Engo's Introduction. The Buddha's supreme power is wholly within his grasp. All the spirits and beings of heaven and earth are under his command. Even his casual words amaze the masses and startle the crowds. With every gesture, every act, he removes chains, knocks off fetters. Transcendental potential is met with transcendental principle. Who has ever been so wonderful? If you want to understand the secret, see the following. Main subject. Obaku said to the assembly, you are all gobblers of dregs. If you go on practicing Zen like that, you will never accomplish the way. Do you know that in all of China, there is no Zen teacher? A monk came forward and said, but surely there are those who teach disciples and preside over the assemblies. What about that? Obaku said, I do not say that there is no Zen, but that there is no Zen teacher. Secho's verse. Commanding his way of teaching, but he admitted no point of merit. Seated majestically over the whole land, he distinguished the dragon from the snake. Emperor Taiju once encountered him and three times fell into his clutches. Good evening. It's a great privilege to speak to my fellow Zen teachers, my sister Zen teachers, and to the students who have been so really generous with their time and their spirit and their effort and I'm very grateful to all of you for being here. So having this 
august body here at Daibosatsu Zendo. And thinking about all the ways in which each one of us from our various temples and centers, monasteries, has had to look deeply into this matter of what it is to be a Zen teacher, to be called a Zen teacher. The first time I was told to take charge of a sangha was when I was practicing with Maureen Myo'on Stewart. It was the late 18, uh, 80s, no, 1980s probably. <laughs> Although, she continues to be at my side She passed away in 1990. She had been coming to the Zen Center of Syracuse, Hoenji, to lead session, and we had been going there to Cambridge Buddhist Association, where I met Tokoro Osho some years later. So I had been leading the sitting at the Zen Center of Syracuse and giving instruction in Zazen. But now that she was asking me to do a little more, what was I taking on? I felt truly I couldn't do what she was asking me to do. Ring the bell, okay. Ring the bell again at the end of the sit. I could do that. But then, after her passing, I came back here, and in 1992, Ada Roshi authorized me as a Dharma teacher. And now, even more, there was a sense of taking something on. Something I had to learn and study and perfect. And I remember when I first started going to American Zen teachers association meetings. At one of them we discussed what it means to feel like a fraud. Probably no one in this room has ever felt that way, but there were some of us who did. This is preposterous. Then in 1998, something even more dangerous happened. Transmission. What was transmitted that day? Of course, 
we all know fundamentally nothing. Certainly nothing that could be named or grasped. And yet, in spite of having some inkling of that, in spite of myself, or really because of myself, there was some sense that something, in fact, had been given. I was carrying something around. What was it? Anybody? Hmm? Was it? It was a kind of um, a stinky sack of self-recognition as a transmitted Zen teacher. Fill in the line, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a a transmitter. Another way to put it, carrying around a sack of shit. So... This really seemed to me to be quite an impediment for myself, and even more so for my students. And I started doing a daily practice of bowing in the Kaisondo in the Founders Hall, Doksan room, at that time mostly in Syracuse. And just every time, may I, tr- may I become a true may I become a true vessel of dharma. May I become a true vessel of dharma. And there was nothing of me. It was this feeling of just true vessel, empty vessel. It took some years before I can say this nothing was truly felt. And appreciating the words of Umon Zenji, something, no matter how wonderful, is never better than nothing. So when you feel like you'd like to move, this is our tradition. I pick up uh, whatever it is I'm drinking, and that's the signal that you can now stand up, lie down, go out, (laughs) or maybe just move a little bit. Let's look at this koan, <clears throat> Obaku Wangbo in Chinese, died um, 850, Tang Dynasty, China. And of course, his most famous disciple was should turn up my hearing aids. I'm hearing so many things at once. What? 
What was, who was it? Rinzai. Thank you. Yeah, you do the Chinese, I'll do the Japanese. He died in uh, 867, so you can see how close in time their deaths were. 850, 867. Rinzai. Obaku, or Wangbo, was seven feet tall, and he had a shiny protuberance in his forehead, and it was said to be a pearl. And we don't know whether that was a, a kind of birthmark or because he prostrated himself so many times. In your tradition, do you do 108 vows every day? Mm -hmm. At least one day, once a day, right? Mm -hmm. Let me see your forehead. <laughs> oh, do some more. Yeah. Oh, Baku, yes, there's a story that when he was the head monk at uh, Enkan's temple, one day he was doing prostrations at the altar, and uh, a novice monk who later became emperor, Tang Yuan Zhong, this is why I like to say the Japanese word, senso, okay, was there, and he asked, it is said, don't seek after it in Buddha. Don't seek after it in Dharma. Don't seek after it in Sangha. So what's lullabows? What are you seeking? Obaku said, I do not seek after it in Buddha. <coughs> I do not seek after it in Dharma. I do not seek after it in Sangha. I just bow. And then Senso said, Well, then, what's the use of bowing? What did Obaku do? Hmm? slapped him. And then Senso said, you're very rude. And Obaku said, at this moment, where is rudeness? Where is politeness? And slapped him again. At the end of uh, Secho's verse to this case that I read you, uh, this is referred to, this interaction. Some of you probably know very well the story that's given in chapter one of Record of Pilgrimages in the Book of Rinzai, the story of Obaku and Rinzai, right? Yes, raise your hands if you can tell the story and then I won't have to. Sort of? Half a hand. Okay, well, we'll do it together. He was uh, practicing there in Obaku's monastery, and for three years he didn't go to Doksan, did not go to see the master. Finally, the head monk, who was named Bokshu, went and asked him, Have you been to see 
Oh, Baku Osho? And he said, No, I haven't. Why not? Well, I don't know what to ask. Oh, so the head monk said very helpfully, Go and ask the master, what is the quintessence of Buddha Dharma? Hmm? So he went and he asked, and before he could finish speaking, Obaku hit him. Rinzai withdrew. Bokshu then asked him, how did it go? Rinzai said, before I could finish, Osho hit me. I don't understand. So the head monk said, well, go and ask again. Same thing. Wow. Came back. Oh, go again. Same thing. Whack. Then Rinzai said to Bokshu, I was lucky to receive your compassionate guidance. You forced me to ask a question three times, and three times I was hit. I deplore deeply that my accumulated karmic impediments are preventing me from getting the profound meaning of Osho's intention. I have decided to leave. Now this itself, I think, is maybe the most important teaching in the entire book of Rinzai to feel what it was like for this young Rinzai to take this upon himself. And as you know, when something happens that's really challenging, what do we usually do? Maybe not you, but what do some people do when they're met with a very difficult situation? Hmm? Run away. Run away is a good one. Run, get him out of here. Hmm? Blame someone else. There's always somebody, right? That's why we have each other. Oh, no. So, in any case, usually some complaint about the circumstance is forthcoming. I could really relate to those words after taking on the yoke of becoming abbot here. Because it was at such a difficult time for the Zen Study Society, we had just been through hell. No one who was a follower of Veda Roshi wanted me here. No one was here. There were three or four ordained people, and that was it. And taking this on and feeling the... There, there were a lot of very angry people on all sides of the 
spherical dimension of the situation. And I was handy. I was right here. Okay, slings and arrows, outrageous fortune. But I just felt, you know, there was no point in complaining. There was nowhere I could turn. Many times I felt I was going to run away, but I couldn't. Why? I had been asked to do this. I had been asked to be a Zen teacher that nobody wanted. It's very good training. Very important to really take this on. Just bow. Just put one foot after the other. And really, really feel. I deplore deeply that my accumulated karmic impediments are preventing me from getting the profound meaning of this. So anyway, let's look at case 11 after uh, speaking a bit about Obaku and Rinzai. In his introduction, Ingo gives Obaku the highest praise. Here is somebody who has Buddha's supreme power wholly in his grasp. What is it? What is it that he's grasping? Can it be grasped? Everything Engo is saying about uh, Obaku, everything is in and under his command, all the spirits and beings of heaven and earth. And even his casual words and sayings amaze the masses and startle the crowds. You are all gobblers of dregs. Amazing. Startling. Are you startled? You are gobblers of dregs. So, and then with every gesture, with every act, he removes chains and knocks off fetters. Everything he does comes from the depths of the fundamental. And this cannot be premeditated. It cannot be written out in instructions for how to be a teacher of Zen. The way Engo is speaking of Obaku is the way we feel when the Dharma is actualizing through our pores, through the pores of our skin, through our cells. There is no self-consciousness at such a time. This is Rinzai's buji. There is nothing to do. Buji already done. No 
need to manipulate a thing. Nothing to be changed. And yet we feel, oh, something is obscuring our clear vision. We do not feel what Engo is saying, Obaku is manifesting. So how do we make this the crux of our practice? And Engo says, if you want to understand the secret, see the following. You are all gobblers of dregs. If you go on studying Zen like that, you will never accomplish the way. Of course, gobblers of dregs, you understand, right? What is that? What are the dregs? I think of it as sort of listening to the teaching, but not really Yes. The dregs actually are from what process? Wine. Hmm? Beer? Hmm? The leftovers. Right. So you hear some teachings you're, you're, um, or reading some teachings, but it's not coming from your own heart. And so it just has this kind of outer form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drinking down the leftover sediment of others' insights, you might say. Yogin Senzaki had some things to say about this. He said, if we are filled with emotional pining for something outside, for someone else's understanding... We are cut off from our own inner wisdom. So in reading something or listening to a talk, you may think, oh, that's really good. I I like that. But it's not your own understanding, your own inner wisdom. And then he said, all masters describe or explain truth, but none of them can make you realize it. You all know the metaphor of the finger pointing at the moon, right? The full moon of enlightenment, which we had just a couple of nights ago. Um, The finger itself, however, is there anything wrong with the finger? We tend to think it's separate from that full moon. But the finger itself could not be more wonderful. Thus we have Gute's finger, right? Somebody mentioned it in our meeting today, speaking about the nun who came and tested him and his feeling somehow that he couldn't meet her challenge. But the koan of Gute's finger really illustrates very well, I think, the authentic and what is not, the dregs. 
some of you don't know the koan, perhaps. Gute always raised one finger when asked about Zen. One day he was away from the temple and his young attendant was there and some visitors came and they asked, how does your master teach? And the young attendant raised his finger. Then what happened? Hmm? Hmm? Right, right. And the attendant ran off screaming and Gute raised his finger. At that moment, the attendant was enlightened. No longer a gobbler of dregs. He got it. Dregs cut. So Nyogen Senzaki continues in this quote I wanted to share with you. You must open your own inner gate by yourself. A master never preaches the inner or esoteric teaching, but the kind of preaching that merely entertains listeners is rather harmful. It gives them the burdens of delusion endlessly. When Zen is answered by words, it is no longer Zen. So how do we teach? This is the underlying thread of what we're looking at this evening. Obaku continued, Do you know that in all of China there is no Zen teacher? A monk came forward. Anybody? Hmm? No monk coming forward? Okay. Here, certainly, at Daibosatsu Zendo, we have a uh, more than one. Like several teachers. <laughs> more like, right now, maybe 18. Surely there are those who teach disciples and preside over the assemblies, like yourself. What about that? And to that question, Obaku replied, I do not say that there is no Zen, but that there is no Zen teacher. And I mentioned uh, earlier the quote by Nyogen Sensaki. And as you know, he was one of the earliest pioneers to come to this country, having no idea about becoming a Zen teacher. Just a simple monk, just sitting, just trying his best to raise a little money so that he could meet with people who would like to go through some of the great texts with him. And eventually, 
being considered a teacher. But he said, America has Zen all the time. Why should I meddle? So this is another way we can ask ourselves regarding this point of Obakus. What are we doing? Are we meddling when we teach? America has Zen all the time. All these students who are sitting here with us have Zen all the time. Fundamentally, Buddhas. So how do we convey, how do we support that original Buddha mind without meddling? This is really the question that Obaku is asking. How can Zen be taught? So when, of course, we make the mistake of thinking of ourselves as Zen teachers, when we apply to uh, AZTA for membership, I think there's a caveat, there's some sort of statement about this does not necessarily mean what some of you are in the role of membership. What does it say? I'm not sure, but the idea is that we um, can't really doubt the authenticity of our members. Yes, we cannot. Mm-hmm. All we can say is they pass the test to become a, a, mem- a member of American Zen Teachers Association. Hmm? Which is not to say that we validate their capabilities, okay? Hmm. Yes, if we think of ourselves as teachers in that way, that we have now been authenticated by some organization, then automatically I think we are in danger of leading others astray. We really have to watch out because there's a kind of interlocking ignorance that takes place. It's a perfect combination, if you will, where students want to be given something, right? And teachers want to be seen as having something to give, right? Yes? I mean, in our darkest secret hearts, we would like to think we have something to offer. It's a subtle matter. I'm kind of thrusts us into what Rinzai said about true person, no rank, no such title, no such thing as. Zen teacher, therefore Zen is transmitted and vital and vibrant. Obaku, when he was asked for guidance and transmission of mind, he said, I have nothing to offer, nothing to give. I have never had anything to offer others 
It is because you allow people to lead you astray that you are forever seeking intuition and searching for understanding. And Master Rinzai himself said about being a teacher, this mountain monk has not a single dharma to give to people. All I can do is cure illnesses and untie bonds. As Engo said of Obaku, he removes chains, knocks off fetters. Maybe some of you know some of the sayings of Shonen Shinran, the founder of the Jodo Shinshu Pure Land sect. He said, I don't have a single disciple. I have no intention, in other words, to be a Buddhist teacher. People come as they come, and they are welcome. People go as they are. Farewell. And of course, in the Diamond Sutra, there's that famous line, if anyone says that the Tathagata presents a teaching, he really slanders Buddha and is unable to explain what I teach. As to any truth-declaring system, truth is undeclarable. So an enunciation of truth is just the name given to it. And I wanted to also offer one other quotation, and this is from Case 70 of the Blue Cliff Record. Obaka's teacher, Yakujo, said to Isan, with your mouth and lips closed, how would you say it? Isan said, I would ask you to say it. Yakujo said, I could say it, but if I did so, I fear I should have no successors. So another sobering comment. So really doing this kind of deep introspection in how to teach without objectifying what cannot be grasped, without putting ourselves on a platform, right? And how do we formulate this unformulated principle in a way that can bring students to find out for themselves, not to take our word for it, as Buddha himself said, don't take my word for it. In fact, he said, in 49 years, I have never given any teaching. Katagiri Roshi said, the title of his book, you have to say something, right? You have to say something. 
How do we do it without making it into a something? For me, the only way is through the arts, through the Zen arts, to look at a calligraphy, to understand the poem or the koan that it's taken from, to be inspired by it, to read poetry, and to have the direct experience of that poet conveyed so clearly that it penetrates your heart. This is direct pointing to the human mind, mind to mind. In the meeting room, there's a beautiful verse of the calligraphy there, the scroll that's hanging there is from one of Secho's verses from the Blue Cliff Record that goes very relevant to the weather today. Overwhelming the evening clouds gathering in one great mass, endlessly arising the distant mountains, blue heaped upon blue. So it's that last line, endlessly arising, that is in that scroll. So please take a look at it next time you're walking by. So what would you say to Obaku about your being a Zen teacher? How do you do this? You know, this, <clears throat> this koan, it's helpful for all of us probably because remember, we've already drunk the wine. Remember? But the wine's already been drunk. Already That's drunk. That's how you get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So reminding people of what's already happening. Yes. Savor it. It is being with every little bit of saliva. Well, I would say, hey, I never applied for this job. Or I might say, I'm just along for the ride. I'm not the captain of this ship. You know, Zen does a pretty good job of teaching itself when we get out of the way. It teaches us. It teaches through us. Through the raindrops, through the clearing of the sky, through the birds, evening songs. And Secho's verse really is just another way of commenting on his admiration for Obaku. So we won't go into it line by line, but just to allow ourselves to feel what it is to be not a Zen teacher, but to have this natural flowing 
true nature flowing from every direction through us with nothing in the way, then indeed we can distinguish the dragon from the snake, right? We know what to do. When there is something that requires our attention, we don't like, oh, I don't know, I might make a mistake. No, we just respond intuitively. We do everything it takes to know what that response might be to free others from fetters, to loosen bonds, and to offer nothing but this one mind. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.